All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Monday, so we are standing in the confessional corner. This week, finishing off Apology Article 23 as we go through the sixth and final argument against celibacy and the need for the marriage of not only priests, but everyone who does not have the supernatural gift of contentment. So we're going to look at paragraphs 51 through 71 of Article 23. Sixth, we have many reasons for disapproving the law of permanent celibacy. Besides these, there are also dangers to souls and public scandals. Even if the law were just, these should be discourage good people from approving such a burden that has destroyed countless souls. All right, we have many reasons. And besides these, and not just the five before, but many others, there are so many public scandals because the people who are required to keep the permanent celibacy can't do it. And so you have so many things that have destroyed countless souls because it has destroyed the souls of the people who have been there from the monks and the nuns and the priest to then the lay people who are seeing them who are supposed to be in a much holier life living worse than they do. We continue on in paragraphs 52 to 55. For a long time, good people have complained about this burden, either for themselves or for others whom they saw to be in danger. But the popes do not listen to these complaints. It is beyond doubt that this law is injurious to public morals and has produced vices and shameful lust. The Roman comedic plays still exist. Rome still recognizes and reads its own morals in them. So God punishes the hatred of his own gift and ordinance in those who ban marriage. For other laws, the custom was that if a benefit could clearly be shown, they were changed. Why isn't the same done with this law? There are weighty reasons to support a change, especially now. Nature is growing old and is gradually becoming weaker. Vices are increasing. Therefore, the divine cures should be used. We see what vice God condemned before the flood and before the burning of the five cities. Similar vices have come before the destruction of many other cities, such as Sabaris and Rome. These illustrate the, what it would be like in the end times. So now marriage should be strongly defended by the strictest laws and warning examples. People should be encouraged to marry. This duty belongs to public officials who should maintain public discipline. Meanwhile, the teachers of the gospel should do both of these things. Encourage unchaste people to marry. Encourage others not to hate the gift of chastity. All right, so what is the biggest problem Human nature is getting worse. The further along we go in history, the worse and worse it gets. Why? Because it's like a cumulative effect. It's like taking the snowball from Eden and rolling it down the hill. And by the time you get to the end times at the bottom of the mountain, it is a massive snowball of sin. And we see this all the time. You can't go anywhere without some sort of sexualization of anything. And so now even human nature is getting old and becoming weaker. Vices are increasing, not just the sexual ones, like in the marriage, but all things. Greed is rampant. Avarice, you just... 
Go through all the deadly sins and you will find that these are still increasing in 2022 over what they were in 2002 or 1992 and especially over 1902. So therefore, the divine cures should be used. And this is the problem. There's so many shameful lusts that are being involved in 1531 when Melanchthon is writing this among the priests and the monks and the nuns that marriage should be strongly defended. He compares this to before the flood when the sons of God were uh, finding the daughters of man attractive and creating the giants. You've got it in the burning of the five cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and all the rest of them in that valley. All of them sexually lustful situations. And he says that's the way the church is at the time, especially under the Pope's rule of permanent celibacy. So it belongs to all public officials, especially in the church, to encourage unchaste people to get married and to encourage people not to hate the gift of chastity. If they have been given the gift of contentment and chastity, great. If you have not been given it, God has given you a gift, and that is marriage. So Paul can say it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is exactly what Melanchthon is talking about here. All right, paragraphs 56 to 59. The popes daily enact and change other excellent laws. However, when it comes to the law of celibacy, they are as hard and cold as iron, even though it is clear that this is simply a human right. They are now making this law more burdensome in many ways. The canon asks them to suspend priests. These rather unfriendly interpreters suspend them not from the office, but from trees. They cruelly kill many men for nothing but marriage. These very murders of close relatives show that this law is a doctrine of demons, 1 Timothy 4.1. Since the devil is a murderer, John 8.44, he defends his law by these murders. We know that there is some offense regarding schism. We seem to have separated from those who are considered regular bishops, but our consciences are very secure. We know that though we earnestly desire to establish harmony, we cannot please the adversaries unless we cast away clear truth and then willingly agree with these very men to defend this unjust law, to dissolve marriages that have been contracted, to put priests to death if they do not obey, and to drive poor women and fatherless children into exile. But since these conditions clearly displease God, we cannot feel sorry that we are not allied with the multitude of murderers among the adversaries. Strong words as he finishes up this argument. But, okay, we don't want to necessarily cause schism. But really, it's not us that are causing the schism. We simply want to be able to follow God's path, which for the vast, vast majority of people is to be able to live out their life fulfilled in the marriage relationship. But what do they do? They demand that not only do the marriages be dissolved, but all those who refuse to dissolve their marriages, who the priests who refuse to divorce their wives, are killed, most times by hanging, sometimes by being burned at the stake. 
very cruel ways to punish somebody for getting married. I mean, it seems absolutely insane to us, or at least it does to me, that marriage would be a death sentence. I mean, we joke about it sometimes because you lose all the fun that you used to have before you were married. But truly, you have so many gifts in marriage that you know the joke is stupid. But now, with these priests being forced to put away their wives, put away their children. What are they? They're out begging on the street. They become not the pastor's wife and the pastor's kids, but the beggars down at the end of the block. The panhandlers just seeking to eke out a meager living because the church has cast them out. Because in many of, in some of the Cases where you see some of these things, they are considered spawn of the devil because they have been they have been given birth in a marriage that should never have happened. And people wonder why we have such issues because their law makes no sense, makes no sense physically, makes no sense politically or economically. It does not do anything for women and children. It just does things for the Pope and asserts his power and that this law cannot be changed. Although I still firmly believe that this law will be changed sometime in my lifetime because otherwise we are not going to have a whole lot of Roman Catholic priests because even now many priests are having three, four, and five congregations at once because They don't have enough to cover all of the parishes. Would be a great idea to even bring in more priests if you allowed them to marry. Just saying. All right, starting in paragraph 60, Melanchthon begins his conclusion to this entire article. We have explained why we cannot with a good conscience agree with the adversaries when they defend the pontifical law about permanent celibacy. It conflicts with divine and natural law, and it varies from the canons themselves. It is superstitious and full of danger. Finally, the whole affair is insincere. For the law is enacted not for the sake of religion. It was enacted for the sake of control, and this is wickedly given the appearance of religion. No sane person can produce anything against these most firmly established reasons. The gospel allows marriage for those to whom it is necessary. Nevertheless, it does not compel marriage for those who can be chaste, provided they are truly chaste. We hold that the priest should be allowed this freedom also. We do not wish to compel anyone to be celibate by force, nor do we want to break up marriages that have been contracted. We have also shown on the side how the adversaries object to several of our arguments while we presented them. We have explained away these false accusations. As briefly as possible, we will now relate what important reasons they claim to have for defending the law. First, they say that it has been revealed by God. You see the extreme rudeness of these sorry fellows. They dare to affirm that the law of permanent celibacy has been divinely revealed, although it is contrary to clear scripture passages. These passages command that because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, 1 Corinthians 7, 2. Likewise, they forbid breaking up marriages that, would, that have been contracted. See Matthew 5, 32, Matthew 19, 6, and 1 Corinthians 7, 27. 
Paul reminds us what kind of author such a law has when he calls it teachings of demons, 1 Timothy 4.1. Fruit show their author. Many monstrous lusts and murders are now committed under the appearance of that law. Again, first thing, they say it's been revealed by God, but it has exactly the opposite of what God has previously said written down in the scriptures. It's always a bad thing when you have a revelation from God that says the exact opposite of what the previous revelation of God said. People try to do that with the New Testament and the Old Testament. But no, no, no. The New Testament does not cross out and eliminate the old. It fulfills the old. It shows us how the old is truly meant to be understood. So this law of permanent celibacy has been revealed by God. Yet no, no, sorry, don't buy it. The second argument of the adversaries is that priests should be pure. According to Isaiah 52, 11, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. And they cite many things to this effect. We have dealt with this particularly false reason before. We have said that virginity without faith is not purity before God, and marriage is pure because of faith, according to Titus 1.15. To the pure, all things are pure. We have also said that outward purity in the ceremonies of the law are not to be demanded today because the gospel requires purity of hearts. A husband's heart, as in the case of polygamist Abraham or Jacob, may be pure and burn less with lust than that of many virgins who are truly chaste. What Isaiah says, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, should be understood as referring to the cleanness of heart and to the whole of repentance. Besides, in the exercise of marriage, the saints will know to what extent it is beneficial to restrain its use, and as Paul says, to control his own body in holiness, 1 Thessalonians 4.4. 4. Finally, since marriage is pure, those who are not chaste in celibacy are rightly told that they should marry wives to be pure. So the same law, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, commands the impure celibates become pure husbands. Priests should be pure. And this gives rise to the idea of the indelible character given to priests at ordination, that they are sinless and pure because of their ordination. And we've seen that to be not the case and that was the same way in the 16th century as Melanchthon's writing with all the public scandals that have gone on with the priest. They still go on today as well. But the interesting note in paragraph 64, a husband's heart, as in the case of polygamist Abraham or Jacob, may be purer and burn less with lust than that of many virgins who are truly chaste. Even the truly chaste virgins can burn with passion and may even burn with more passion than Abraham who had Sarah and Hagar at the same time or Jacob who had Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpha. They may have been actually more pure having multiple wives than those who are truly chaste and having no spouse. It's possible. All right, picking up in Paragraph 67, the third argument is horrible. The marriage of priest is the heresy of Jovinian. Fine-sounding words. This is a new crime, that marriage is a heresy. In the time of Jovinian, the world did not as yet know the law about permanent celibacy. Therefore, it is a rude lie that the marriage of priest is the heresy of Jovinian, or that such marriage was then condemned by the church. 
In such passages, we can see what plan the adversaries had in writing the Confutation. They determined that the ignorant would be the most easily excited if they would hear frequently the charge of heresy, and if they pretend that our cause had been condemned and executed by previous decisions of the church. So they frequently cite falsely the church's judgment. Because they knew about this, they were unwilling to show us a copy of their apology, lest this lie in these charges be exposed. We have already expressed our opinion, however, regarding Jovinian, which conserves, concerns the comparison of virginity and marriage. We do not make marriage and virginity equal, although neither virginity nor marriage merits justification. So the third argument they have is, of course, this has to be heresy because it's against what we want to do. And so they slap on the label that seems closest to it, which would be Jovinianism. In Jovinianism... It was taught by Jovinian, who taught that virginity was equal to marriage and would gain possibly even slightly a smidge more justification than marriage would. Which is why the very end of this paragraph reminds us that we do not make marriage and virginity equal, although neither virginity nor marriage merits justification. You cannot be saved because you're a virgin. You cannot be saved because you're married. You are saved because of Jesus. Pure and simple. Plain enough, but the adversaries continue to not understand that. All right, the last couple of paragraphs, finishing up this article, paragraph 70 and 71. The adversaries defend a law that is godless and destructive to good morals by such false arguments. By such reasons, they set the minds of princes firmly against God's judgment. God will call them to explain why they have broken apart marriages and why they have tortured and killed priests. For do not doubt that as the blood of dead Abel cried out, Genesis 4.10, so the blood of many good men whom they have unjustly attacked will also cry out. God will punish this cruelty. There you will discover how worthless are these reasons of the adversaries. You will discern that in God's judgment, no lies against God's word remain standing. As Isaiah says, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. In chapter 40, verse 6. Whatever may happen, our princes will be able to comfort themselves with the consciousness of right counsels. Even if the priests had done wrong in contracting marriages, this disruption of marriages, these prohibitions, and this cruelty are clearly contrary to God's will and word. Neither novelty nor dissent delights our princes. Especially in an undoubted matter, more regard had to be paid to God's word than to anything else. Again, the adversaries defend a law that is godless and destructive to good morals. And they defend it by such false arguments that he has just explained. And God will cause them to explain why they have dissolved marriages that have been contracted and have been done in the sight of God. And as the end of the marriage ceremony says, going back to Genesis 2, going to Matthew 19, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century, was doing for those who refused their law of permanent celibacy that got married. They would kill them if they refused. 
They would run the children and the wives off into exile, far away, so that they would not have nothing to be able to support themselves with. So they would be left begging on the street. And these are the people who were trying to say that they were the godly ones. Again, we have the rise of the Pharisees coming up in this. Do as I say, not as I do. That was the general understanding of the Pope and the cardinals and all the bishops as this is the law that we are pushing forward. I don't like it. I don't follow it. But you can't question me. That was the main thrust behind it. And anyone who tried to question was killed. Plain and simple. All right. That is the end of Article 23 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Starting next week, we will go through a very long series again on Article 24 on the Mass. Again, this is one that is really wrapped up in justification and in repentance and in the grace that God has in the sacraments. So we'll spend some time here. There's 99 paragraphs in this. We'll divide it up into about six weeks to truly get to the point because there are so many things that this goes to because there are so many instances where you change one thing and it affects something else. It's a very domino effect, especially as we get to the Mass, because then when you get to start changing the Mass and putting in the abuses that have come up, the dominoes just get bigger. They just knock over faster. And so I encourage you to be here for that as we begin that look next week. But for this week, I want to thank you for standing in the confessional corner with me, Pastor Doug Minton. Thanking you for listening to Wrestling with Theology. Be back for digging deeper. Come have some fun with me as I do fantasy wrestling with Pro Wrestling America on Wednesdays. Listen to the moments meditation, the sermons, everything else that is on here to help you be strengthened and equipped to wrestle with the theology around you today and always. Amen.